Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. I don't think we missed Jesus this morning. At least I didn't. This has been a wonderful, wonderful, I think just exalting of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thinking of when he came to the the city of Jerusalem and they were throwing palms his way and shouting hosannas, it was all fleeting. It didn't really last. This is lasting. This is lasting praise. We honor our Lord with our life and with our hearts. Somebody didn't see Jesus. They just totally missed what he was all about. He'd performed so many miracles. He taught with authority. And yet, they overlooked it. And that the miracles that Jesus did and the, uh, the great teaching with such authority... It provoked the religious leaders of the day. It didn't bring them together or unite them, but provoked them against him. And they plotted. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted him gone. And they tried a few times. They tried, they tried to stone him once. It seemed every time Jesus was able to slip away. But there came this tipping point in Jesus' ministry where he performed a great miracle. And then there seemed to be this unification of these religious leaders to really come against Jesus. And that tipping point was when Jesus raised a man from the dead. That was Lazarus was his name. Lazarus had been entombed not for a day or two, but four days And when Jesus arrived in this little town of Bethany that was just outside of Jerusalem, Lazarus' sisters were mourning. They said, we can't even go near the grave. He's, it's, you know, it's going to begin to, uh, he's, his corpse is rotting. That's in essence what they were saying. But Jesus called out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And the man walked out of the tomb, his grave clothes still on, and he was alive. And that was the tipping point. That was where these religious leaders were incensed. And I want to read a little bit to you about that. This is John's gospel, John uh, chapter 11. What, What was the result of this great miracle John eleven forty five to 47 says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. So this great miracle Jesus did brought a man back to life, a man who had been rotting in his tomb for days. And there seemed to be even division among the people who 
heard about the miracle or even witnessed it, that some of them believed in Jesus, others went to the Pharisees and evidently uh, were complaining or saying some things that maybe this isn't something we should really be accepting. And so this group, these leaders, this Sanhedrin it was called, they had a meeting and they agreed in their meeting that anyone who found out where Jesus was that they should report it because what occurred is Jesus, he slipped away again. When he heard that they were upset, he put himself out of sight. So the Sanhedrin said, whoever report it, we, we'll arrest him. We'll take care of it. So who, who were these people? This thing called the Sanhedrin, it was a group of leaders in the religious faith of the Jews. There were 70 members plus the high priest that made 71. And we read in that passage, it said the chief priests and the Pharisees. Well, the chief priests were largely from a group that was called the Sadducees that made up the majority of the council. And then there was this group called the Pharisees. They were the minority, but sometimes they were influential. It was a two-party system. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they had different ideas. They had different interpretations of the Jewish religion and the Jewish faith. And at times, they were at odds with one another. One of those items was resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees didn't really believe in it. The Pharisees did. Sometimes they would argue about that. They argued about other things. And that's not too different than our political system. We have the Republicans and the Democrats. And it, isn't it true that they're often at odds with each other? This week in particular, if you read any of the headlines, it was the nuclear option. The nuclear option. The, the Republicans had to resort to being nuclear and uh, getting rid of the of the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees so they could get their Supreme Court person nominated, Neil Gorsuch, and so that's what occurred. They removed the filibuster, 50, all they needed was 51 votes. They changed the rules. They're fighting with one another. They're at odds with one another. Will they ever come together? And the answer is, yeah, they'll come together. Two enemies will come together when they find a common enemy. You know, what's the old saying? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So the Sadducees, they had the enemy Jesus. The Pharisees, they had the enemy Jesus. And these two groups that were at odds, knocking heads, they finally come together unified to eliminate Jesus. So they put this plot together to take care of him, to get him out of the picture. Now what occurred next? This, after this miracle, this was before this triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Jesus was away at this little town in Bethany, and we pick up the account in John 12, verse 12. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, which was the Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! 
Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That's a quote from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So Jesus had left Lazarus's town, which was really close to Jerusalem, and he was making his way to Jerusalem for this Passover festival, and it was this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead that caused this crowd to grow, and they come out with palm branches. They're saying, Hosanna, you know, welcome to the king of Israel. And Jesus was welcomed through these gates as a king. And once again, the Pharisees are frustrated. The crowd's huge. It's really not the time for them to act. But they say the whole world has gone after him. And the Apostle John shows us just how true that statement is. Very next verse, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd was there and heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So here's Jesus coming into the city triumphantly. And then the results. He's not riding a great wave of adulation and praise. His heart is heavy. And perhaps these Pharisees didn't know how right they had it when they said the whole world has gone after him. Because in that very next verse, the Apostle John tells us there are Greeks 
asking to see Jesus. Not just Jews, Greeks. And when the Bible uses this type of contrast, the Jews and the Gentiles, or the Jews and the nations, or the Jews and the Greeks, showing us it's really a picture of the whole world. So it's not just the Jews coming to Jesus. The Greeks are asking for him. And they're likely asking because they couldn't go all the way into the temple. The temple was the Jewish place of worship. And if you weren't a Jew, you had to stay outside in the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. So these Greeks were forbidden to go in. So they're asking. They're asking likely because Jesus was on the inside teaching. And they had come there to honor God. They were likely Greeks who had believed in God. They're there to honor him, but they could only get so far. So they asked Philip, but Philip seems a little hesitant, doesn't he? Philip doesn't go get Jesus. I'm wondering what he's thinking. What's Jesus going to say? Oh, no, it's these Greeks. Did Jesus, didn't he come for just the house of Israel? Is he going to be upset? So Philip enlists his friend Andrew. And together, they ask Jesus. And here's the reply. Jesus' reply is, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he goes on to talk about his death. He talks about a seed falling to the ground. He speaks of being raised up. If, if I be lifted up, and John tells us that's a reference to the cross and how he's going to die. And Jesus uses words like anyone and whoever. So it's not just the Jews. The response to the Greeks is, the hour has come for me to be glorified and anyone, whoever, comes can gain eternal life if they come to Jesus. His soul is heavy, he says. This is not, he, he's not in really a, a high place. And his soul is heavy because he knows what's next. He knows what's coming. He says, shall I say, Father, spare me? No. When I'm lifted up on that cross, I'll draw all men to me, whoever, Greeks, Jews, it doesn't matter. Because the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour of giving his life on the cross. The crowd that had formed to shout hosannas and praises and say, oh, King of Jerusalem and King of Israel, come on in. They were there largely because they were curious over a miracle that Jesus had performed or they had developed some false expectations of Jesus being this king of Israel. And in a matter of days, what happened to that crowd that was so uh, adoring of Jesus? They dispersed and they were gone. The crowd that honored Jesus would turn into a mob, a mob that cried out for his execution and a mob that would get their way. It was in their zeal to humiliate and in their zeal to eliminate Jesus that he would instead be glorified. Yeah, the plan kind of backfired on him because Jesus' hour had come. The hour had come for him to be glorified and he was glorified on the cross. 
Jesus prayed to his father, not my will, but thy will be done. He commended his life into his father's hands. On the cross, he was glorified by the father because he was obedient. Jesus was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. And though he was crucified in his human weakness, he showed divine power was dwelling in him because heaven responded. When we read about what occurred when Jesus was crucified, darkness covered the land. There was an earthquake. The veil in the temple was torn in two. A Roman centurion who was there as part of the execution, he said, surely this man was innocent. Truly, he was the son of God. So there's a, there's a Roman centurion being convicted right there at the cross, right there at the crucifixion. Jesus was glorified as a sin offering. God accepted Christ as a sacrifice of atonement for sin through the shedding of his blood. And that we receive by faith. He bore our sins on the cross that we might die to sin and live to be his righteousness, to to, to be righteous for him because he did the work for us. So thus, on the cross, Jesus Christ was glorified. And it wasn't just on the cross that he was glorified. His hour had come to be glorified, and Jesus was glorified further in his resurrection. Jesus had said all along, he had said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. His disciples didn't understand it. They often were confused when he used this kind of terminology. He said things like, destroy this temple and in three days I'll I'll raise it up again. But his enemies took stock in what he had said. His enemies seemed to actually believe a little bit about what Jesus said about resurrecting and they posted guards at his grave. And once again, his divinity was revealed Because heaven responded, there was an earthquake again. Angels appeared. The stone that sealed the front of the tomb was rolled away. And then the tomb was empty. Jesus left the tomb alive. This was unmistakable proof that he was on a mission from God and that he was God. Then Jesus appeared to his followers. He appeared to his followers in this glorified body. And it's promised to us that we are going to share in that resurrection, that we will one day be resurrected and share in a glorified body like Jesus' resurrected body. His hour had come to be glorified, and he was glorified on the cross, and he was glorified by his resurrection, and he was glorified by his ascension. He ascended to his Father in heaven. Jesus said he had come from the Father and that he would return to his Father. After appearing to his followers for some 40 days after he had resurrected, he was taken up to heaven before their very eyes. Peter was an eyewitness to this event. And Peter wrote, he has gone into heaven and he's at God's right hand and he is glorified with angels and authorities and powers and submission to him. Peter wrote that in his first epistle. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, in all of them, Jesus is glorified. And Jesus continues to be glorified. He continues to be glorified by his own. And that is us. 
He is glorified by those who have taken the name of Christ. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, we have taken his name and we've attached it to us. And if, if I could roll right back to the cross where we started, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Healed from the scourge of sin. He bore our sins so that we could live, live to glorify him, living as his righteous followers. And that means not just sometimes. That doesn't mean we just glorify Jesus when it feels, it feels right. No, it's at all times in our life. The hour has come. We're living in the hour to glorify Jesus every hour. The good times and the bad. The greatest moments of our life and the most painful. These are all times to glorify Jesus. And this is the first and it's the greatest aim of worshiping our risen Savior, that we glorify Jesus regardless of what's happening in life, regardless of what the circumstance. You lose sight of this, and your worship is really of no use. Lose sight of this, and you slip into this setting your own destination, setting your own destiny, having things your own way. How can I get my own way? How can I make my name great? How can I glorify myself? These are not the great questions of life. No. A better question is, how can I best promote the glory of Jesus Christ? And if we call him Lord and Savior, if we believe that he took away our sins, how can we best promote his glory. And that's a singular aim. That's a singular aim. The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's have a singular aim. Have the singular aim to glorify Jesus and best, uh, best promote him. Live with this attitude that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Glorify Christ when it's easy. Glorify him when your bank account is flush with cash. Glorify him when the bills are paid and the refrigerator is full and the kids are behaving. When life is sunshine and lollipops and rainbows, glorify Jesus because he's blessed you. But equally so, glorify Jesus when life is difficult. You, you, when, when the funds are, are low, when the rent is late, when the cupboards are bare, glorify Jesus. When the kids are putting you to your last nerve, when life is dark and when it's sour and when it's stormy, glorify Jesus. Glorify him. Glorify him. With a grateful reception of his gospel, glorify him with confession of your sin. Glorify him with repentance and turning from sin. Glorify him in reliance on the blood sacrifice and the price that he paid in redeeming us on the cross. Glorify him by fleeing from temptation. Glorify Jesus in your zeal to advance and promote the hope of the gospel. Give that to others and glorify Jesus 
Glorify him in a life that's obedient to his commandments. Glorify him in a life that is dedicated to him. Worship him. Worship him for his sacrifice. Praise him for your salvation. Glorify him in all that you do. What did John the Baptist say? I want us all to glorify Jesus in the words of John the Baptist. He must become greater. I must become less. Psalm 115 sort of uh, alludes to this in verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory because of your love and faithfulness. Not to us. We're not here for our own, for our own glorification. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus spoke these words because he was looking forward to a stark reality. He was facing his death, a death on a Roman cross where they're going to nail his hands and his feet. His immediate future, he knew what was before him, betrayal, a rigged trial, a kangaroo court, a death sentence, and execution by crucifixion. That was his immediate future. What's your immediate future? What's next? What's next for you? What's your next day? What's your next hour? Will it be blessing? Will it be prosperity? Glorify Jesus. If your next hour is contentment and peace, glorify Jesus. If it's trial and adversity, your next hour, may he be glorified. What if your next hour is your final hour? Will you be saying, Jesus, be glorified? We think so much of this life. We think and we plan and we purpose and we undertake with great effort for this life. Thinking of grand things, great things. The king comes through the gates of Jerusalem. Oh, this is great. This is going to be our salvation from Rome. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll give glory to that because it helps me. It helps me in, in this earth. We think, we plan, we purpose. We want great things in this life. Have we given much thought to the next life? There is another hour coming. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, but there is another hour coming. In Revelation chapter 14, we read of that hour. In Revelation 14, 7, we hear God saying, he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and the springs of water. In that hour, in that hour of judgment, which is a time we're all gonna face, none of us, are immune from that hour. All of our human labors, everything that we have done in this life to be a great effort, our, any merit that we might have to build ourselves up, to build something for our name's sake, all of those efforts, they're all going to be lost in that hour. They're going to be meaningless in that hour. And if you haven't wholly and completely given your life over to Jesus Christ in that hour, he will say, depart from me. Depart from me. 
Those are tough words to hear. I don't want to hear them. Depart from me into eternal darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but for those who have come unto him and call on him and those who see that the hour of the Son of Man has come for him to be glorified and we live our life glorifying Jesus Christ to him in that hour of judgment, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. There's just those two options. In your next hour, do you have that assurance? We sung a song this morning, Blessed Assurance. Do you have the blessed assurance that if your hour, we're going to bring that hour of judgment that you knew without a, without a doubt your eternal destination. You can welcome Jesus today in your own heart as king. You can welcome him into your own life as king if you don't have that assurance. And you can be assured. So many of the people who welcomed Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, they wilted. Their faith wasn't based on the truth. And it didn't last because I think they were more looking to themselves and how that would help them in this life. Your story can be different. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I remember singing that song as a child. I remember it 16 years old, being sung at my father's funeral. I didn't understand it. What is this? This is my story. This is my song. And it took a number of years till my faith became my own, till that day came and I remember it. I remember it clearly where I said, okay, I'm getting this now. I can't do this. I can't self-direct. I'm giving you my life, Jesus. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This doesn't matter what the day is. All the day long. Honoring Him. Did that come instantly? No, it didn't come instantly. Has it taken time to learn? Yes, of course. But it started with that day where I finally surrendered and turned it all over to him. And I can sing that song differently now. I can sing it knowing in my heart. I have a blessed assurance. Heir of salvation. Oh, that's, that's a wonderful line. I'm an heir. I'm an heir with Jesus. And this is my story, this is my song. I wanna glorify you, Jesus, all the day long. He was glorified on the cross for our, our sin. He was glorified in his resurrection, guaranteeing victory over death and a resurrection for us. He was glorified in his ascension with all powers coming under submission to him. And he desires to be glorified in every life in this room. That is his desire. So that at that hour, that hour that we're all going to face, 
He can say, come on in, come on in, share in your master's happiness. If you haven't received him, would you receive him today? Would you ask him to help you? You can surrender, you can say, I will repent, Lord, I'll do what it takes. And you can share in his happiness. It's not all about lifting up ourselves in this life. And I wanna invite anyone here, if that's you today, if you don't know him, that you would just take a moment with me right now and pray. And if it's you who are here and you do have that blessed assurance, pray, pray with me as we pray for anyone in this room, anyone. I just, you can just bow your head and ask the Lord, we don't need to make a show of this at all. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't truly have that blessed assurance, maybe they've, like I did, sung that song many times and yet really didn't understand it or live it. God, I pray that today would be the day they'd say, Jesus, I give you my heart, I give you my life, I'll repent of my sin, I'll turn to you, help me, help me, help me. I'll do what I can to glorify you because you, you paid the way for my sin. God, I pray that there are some in here that even though they've heard it many times, if today's the first day they get it, that they turn their hearts to you. And God, bless those folks. Bless those people. God, Lord, receive them to you this morning and bless them, God. Bless them and use them to the furtherance of your kingdom from this day on. God, I pray that the faith would be real. I pray that it would be strong, that it wouldn't wane or wilt in the days to come because this faith is based on the truth. Jesus died for us and he resurrected and he ascended. Thank you for the truth, God. May it be that we could all in unity say this is my story, this is my song. I'll glorify my Jesus all the day long. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you. We just pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.